From the Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here's your host, Rocky LaFleur. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. Also starring Josh Webb, Jake LaTondras, Rob Kroon, David Ellis, and Ramsey Russell. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Ducktown Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me today, Ramsey Russell and Ira McCauley. Guys, how are you? Good. Beautiful day here in Missouri. Beautiful day. Mm. I think all three of us are back in the United States now, right? You know, Ira yeah. and I are. I crossed the border last night at 15 minutes till 10, right before they closed. It was an easy crossing. And uh, What is what is yeah. that like? What is the, both of y'all, what, what is, I've never crossed the Mexican or the, the Canada border. I mean, what, is, have you seen it tough and have you seen it easy? Yeah. I, I, normally it's easy. Normally if you go through the, catch the right people at the right time. And I, I ain't going to lie to you. I was telling some Yankee buddies of mine. That uh, one of them was just, man, you know, I go through this port and this port and this port and this port and I get strip searched and I do this. I said, it's your freaking accent, dude. Man, when I go through customs, y'all just think I got an accent right now. I pour it on. I pour it on. I mean, I am, I am, I am all shucks. Andy Griffith, smiling and, and polite and dumb as a brick. You know, and uh, it's almost like they're scared to mess with me because I might be a special special needs person, you know. And I don't, I, but only, only one time has that failed me. I was going through Ontario last year, and, and I, I literally just just sat on a box, uh, a bag next to my truck while they absolutely discombobulated everything in there. But normally, you just go through. Last night, she fed my dog a doggy bone, and we talked, and we looked at paperwork, and, you know, what are you doing? Are you bringing any anything illegal? Are you doing anything wrong? Okay, have a good time. Enjoy Canada. You know, usually it's pretty darn easy, and and I I declare, you know, yes, I'm bringing tobacco. Yes, I've got a a handle of bourbon. Well, how many how many milliliters is that? I'm like, I have no idea. It, it, it's 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 about this big, you know. And they they just with that accent, and a smile, they say, oh, okay, it must not be too much. And it, so it's really I not that bad. It can be. I haven't had any problems coming home from Canada, but I never bring any birds back, and I'm just stick to the facts. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Don't say much. But uh, mm-hmm. man, I've had some I've had some shakedowns going up there, buddy. Some of those and, uh, like that. But there's some worse than others. There's some way. Worse usually, than it's others. been when I'm flying with a group on a private plane, and and somebody mm-hmm. cracks off or has you know some deer sausage they didn't claim or whatever. But oh yeah. Man, I mean, you you give them, you know, you just, if there's one little thing, it can just be, it can be something else. But, yeah, my recommendation is uh, declare, declare what you got, like you said, and just, uh, 
yes, sir, no, sir, stick to the facts, ma'am. And mm-hmm. speaking of speaking yeah. of deer sausage, uh, I, you know, it's a big deal up here right now. Canada works um, pretty much like America does in terms of possession and uh, everything like that. And, you know, so you go up to Canada and you hunt for three days. You know, those birds have got to be stored, tagged, uh, head and wing. Now, in Canada, you can't. Ta- you can tag your six ducks when you're going, or eight ducks when you're going down the road being transported if they're not in your possession. But when they go in that freezer, they individually have to be tagged with your license number. And but the whole big thing is this: now those birds have got to be gifted. And fortunately, there are uh, hooderites or different people, farmers, people that will take the now. Somebody asked me the other day, well, how do you get rid of all them birds? We can't get rid of our birds. I'm like, well, here's an idea. Pluck them and clean them and then give them away because nobody wants to pluck your geese. I promise. It is stressful, man. That that is, yeah. To me, that's the biggest stressor. Now, I'm talking about when I'm not going hunting with Habitat Flats up there. When I'm going right. on my mm-hmm. own, my biggest stressor is what, who am I going to give these birds to? Well, I'll tell you what we did the other day when we recorded last week's podcast. I was sitting in front with tagged birds, my tagged birds in the back of my truck, fully feathered. Hell, they haven't been cleaned at all. And I was sitting in front of a meat shop. Now, I ain't got, I, I'm not aware of any in Brandon, Mississippi. You got deer processors and then Kroger, you know, or something like that. But here they got butchers. I mean, they walk in, they smell good, and they got all kinds of good steaks, meat, and cut of meat, and sausage, and you know, these, these northern folks, uh, because of their European origin, they're big into sausage and a uh, whole lot different than just Cajun cooked venison sausage. I can tell you all kinds of good stuff. But what I did was was when you when you go there, uh, when you go to that butcher back behind their shop in the alley, they come out the back door, kind of where, where they go out and smoke, whatever they're going to do, and you sign a form, and they give you a tub. Now you brush your birds. Boom! You gave you give them to them, and and they can turn them into sausage. And what some of the, these boys I was hunting with do is they can't bring it back to the states, which is what made me think of this. But but man, let me tell you what: you want to give away some meat uh, to some of these locals. They love that goose sausage. They they, yeah, they it's it, it not, all they got to do is crack it open and eat it. And and what was so crazy is the last few days I was hunting with some resident Canadians and. Man, it was just so different because we were pro- we were cleaning birds and processing birds, and, and I, I gifted mine to them. Cause and they target snows, so there's no possession limit to worry about. There's no possession limit with snows. But, you know, they were going to a butcher and getting it processed, and they're just going to fly home with, I guarantee you, it's going to be 200, 300 pounds of various goose sausages. But I can't bring that bird back to America because it doesn't have a head or, head or wing attached, blah, 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 blah. And, man, I'm telling y'all, that there's something wrong with that. I mean, I get I get the – it could be some uh, endangered uh, something, you know, mixed up in there that somebody doesn't know. But really and truly, come on. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's almost like uh, the opposite direction of conservation-wise use that we have to struggle with this. And do you know that right now, uh, I'm trying to meet with this guy, right now it has been proposed 
uh, a biologist or a group of biologists from Environmental Canada has proposed reform where you go to Canada and, and you lease a house or you fly from one province to the next or whatever, you know that when those birds are cleaned, like put in a Ziploc, and when it, that meat becomes frozen, they are no longer counted against your possession. And I, I don't want to... Go ahead, Ramsey. No, I, I mean it, it's just, uh, I, I, and I want to, I want to, I want to hear this guy. I want to, I want to hear. I, I've got a lot of questions to ask him, but, but it's a, I don't know, man. It's like you know, I, I've heard why he's doing it or why they're doing it, and, and it's very, uh, to me, it's very important for the future of hunting. You know what I'm saying? It's nuts. I mean, I don't bring sausage back to America. I don't want to stir up any controversy or incriminate myself or focus on negativity or any of that, but, you know, I am a veterinarian. I do have a USDA accreditation. Um, I've had some conversations with our USDA veterinarian here in Missouri, and, and we had some issues, and I had some ducks in the freezer that I'd shot in Mexico, and uh, he was wondering why they weren't bad the USDA approved taxidermists yet. And I said, well, I've just been busy there in my freezer. And he said, well, you realize those ducks are a threat to our domestic poultry flock. And I said, man, I just don't understand how big a threat those ducks that are sitting in my freezer that were going to be here three weeks after I shot them anyway are a threat to our domestic poultry flock. I mean, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I mean, that's the truth of the matter is that the ducks that you were shooting today or yesterday and the ducks I was shooting in late February were going to be here by their own accord yeah. on their own way in a couple of weeks. And he's worried about them being a threat to our dom domestic poultry flock when they're cleaned or not clean. They were in a, a plastic bag in my freezer. And I'm sitting here thinking, man. You know, I, I mean, I, I'm i not saying it's not important, but let's be realistic here. I mean, a duck that's frozen in my freezer that's going to be here anyway of his own accord is really not a threat to our domestic poultry flock. And uh, maybe they'll string me up for saying that, but, I mean, golly, some of these laws are, are just not very commonsensical. I mean, I get it if you're in South America and it's a duck that's never going to be here, then, we, you know, that's a different conversation. But if it's a North American bird, it's going to be here anyway. Man, I mean, yeah, the, some I, of the technicalities are just very, very, very difficult to to deal with and don't make much sense, really. I mean, it just, it just uh, you know, it'd be nice if, if these different agencies would go to a Holiday Inn Express and sit down and everybody get, you know, get the round pegs and the round holes and, and the square pegs and square holes and everybody be on the same playing sheet. I mean it just it would make a lot of sense that 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 uh that this agency's policy not conflict with this agency's policy and that this third customs or TSA be be in on the loop of how it all kind of supposed to work. So, well, and but, it's a different world, man. I mean a lot of these laws that we're dealing with now and people are struggling with and trying to stay within the boundaries of and just all those things. And I'm not saying they're bad at all. But a lot of these are carryovers from, you know, days of market hunting and, and all that stuff. And, I mean, you know, we don't want people to be outlaws. I don't think any of us that are true 
hunters and conservationists are are buying for anything like that. But man, some of the stuff is just you know it, it's it takes some legwork to try and stay legal, especially if you're doing it on the outfitting side, which. Hey, we got our ducks in a row, and, and we're happy to try to comply with the law. I'm not complaining at all. But for your average Joe, um, you know, man, a lot of them don't even know. They they have no idea how much trouble they could be in just from a just a you know lack of of knowledge of what should really be happening. No, and I and I think I think uh, I really think that, and I, I I'm not putting words in nobody's mouth, but I really think that may be why they are they are have proposed changes in Canada, not the U.S. in Canada, to some of those issues because because you know, for example, in Saskatchewan, and this and Alberta, I believe it is unlawful for me, a landowner, to accept money. In exchange for exclusive hunting rights, and right. what I've been told is the reason that exists is because the Canadian um, Canadians they they recognize the wildlife as property of the crown. Number one, and 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 as as the property of the crown, they they believe it belongs to everybody, and that it shouldn't be able to get locked up. So, and and, and I've heard it said right or wrong i've heard it said that because where are the people the children the teenagers going to hunt if they don't have anywhere to hunt and how, how it's good and it's, and it's important and, and i've just heard not from the horse's mouth but but that the reason this this legislation has been proposed is to create opportunities for hunting and to because because hunting dollars and hunters interest is very valuable to um, the money side of conservation to, to the to the to the funds that are going into Department of National Resources and uh, these different state and federal and government agencies and to the research and to to any anything else they do, and uh, I don't know. I I just think it's um, I can't believe it, but I I think it's pretty interesting. You know. No, I know that's right in Saskatchewan. I think you know, like from an out, outfitter's perspective, you know, it's not like so we can't pay them. We can't really, you know, give them. Uh, ravished gifts you know and uh it is it's definitely different i mean it is way different than the way we operate down here that's for sure mm-hmm. and and there may be uh they're really uh i tell you what scouting and knocking on doors and doing like we've been doing the last couple of weeks is just i don't know it's like i'd imagine doing back in mississippi back in the maybe the 60s or 50s you know, kind of like what you were saying uh, last podcast about being able to knock on doors and and go and hunt on a property. You know, uh, I, I I haven't seen that in a long, long time in America or parts of America. Yeah, but it but, and you know, but it depends on where you are in Canada too, man. I mean, some of the places that I've hunted in Canada now it's getting very, very, very difficult to get permission between their hatred for Ducks Unlimited. In certain parts, and in the club root deal, man. I mean, last year we struggled to get on a lot of places. Club oh, root, and it was I'm dry. Not, I'm not aware of that. What do you mean, club root? Oh, club root's a, a canola disease that spread through oh. and infected spores in the dirt. So, like, we uh. had you know, so there we had several people last year that were like, "Hey, the only way that you can do that 
is if you go to the car wash and you wash all the mud off anything that's going to be coming into my field. So, you know, we had an Argo, so we had to go to the car wash and wash the trailer, wash the Argo, wash the truck, make sure and assure those people that there weren't going to be any those farmers that no dirt was going to be imported into their field. So that's a, I mean, I don't know where you were hunting. I didn't ask, but that's a that's getting to be. And I didn't go this year, but I know last year we had several people tell us no or hey, you got to wash all your stuff due to that. And then you know, you know, you know that that area we're hunting, man. They they are just I hate to say it, but they are. You know, you better you better not have a DU sticker on your truck or have a DU hat on mm. because they will tell you no in a heartbeat. You know something I saw firsthand from with from the roll down window. I was sitting in the truck. Um, some of the boys I've been hunting with been hunting a long, long time, long, long time out here. They know these guys. They know a lot of them. Oh, hey, how are you? Good to see you again. That, you know, and uh, yeah. they cover a pretty big area right there. But the area they're hunting is just. A lot of hotels nearby. Every hotel, every restaurant's got got white trailers, different logos, different sports setting out the whole nine yards. And um, he approached a couple of brothers that were their farmers that he knew, and we ended up hunting on their place a couple of times. But let, just to put this in perspective, right now these farmers are four to six weeks behind. Um, on getting their crops harvested because it was a late plant. Well, now now they're they're talking about snow. They're talking about rain. You know, these guys are out here in these fields combining from the eight to eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning. As soon as that little machine tells them those seeds are dry enough to combine, they're combining, and they don't turn that combine off until sometime after midnight, when the when the when the the, the seeds have soaked yeah. up atmospheric moisture and they can't combine it no more. I mean, twenty four seven. They are working right. like fire ants. Uh, and 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 he come up and says, "Hey, how are you?" He goes, "Man, I'm doing fine. Of course, you can hunt." But and and you, I, I could see it. He just takes a deep breath and goes, oh. "He said, I don't know how much longer I'm gonna do this." He said, "You are the tenth person today yeah. to come in." And and you know, and he wasn't mad at my friend because they know each other. He was just venting. You know, here he is, doesn't have time to to eat or take a dump, probably, trying to get his crops out. And everybody, hey, hey, hey. And and we even heard about, here's two people, two cars pulling at the same time, two different parties. The, the owner comes out, and, and it's like turning their head left and right, watching a tennis match on Atari while both of them are soliciting. And, and, and while their head's swimming because they got two people wanting to hunt their field, a third one comes up. And yeah. I predict that sooner or later, these Canadians will say, you know what, screw y'all. Come get on my combine for 10 days and ask me to hunt. Yeah, no, they they're I, super they nice people, but I see the struggle with them. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm, I, I, just like you and the, the other guys who go up there, I mean, I've become good friends with some of these people through the years. But, dude, it's a busy time of year for them, and they're really nice people. But they are stressed this time of year, and the last thing they want to do is worry about your problem as a hunter. Yeah, I mean, we're out there recreationally hunting. <laughs> you know, and up here in, in Canada, there's not U.S. Department of Agriculture throwing out checks and insurance and anything else. It's them, the railroads, and God. That's it. You know, you drive by some of these farming operations, and I, I just can't imagine having, you know, only two combines and having 10 square miles of barley that's got to be out 
pretty goddamn quick because here comes winter, and I'm going to lose it all. And uh, a you lot see, of those guys mamas, up there have mamas and babies. Right. You see all these kids out there. Just it's a family operation. It's not corporate America farming, man. It's a family. You know, sometimes friends will come over or neighbors will come over and help. And one of the boys I hunted with uh, over in Saskatchewan, he's been going there for 25 years. And and we hunt in the morning. We do this. He goes and jumps on the combine. You know, or, or or and hell, he put me to work a little bit. But but it's just. It's just what you you know. It's 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 a whole different mindset, and uh, I don't know, man. It just I I just couldn't help but think to myself, wow, is this is this is this fixing to shut down? Or are, are, are these freelance do-it-yourselfer? Or is it is it what what does the future hold? I mean, when these farmers just say screw it, you know what? I got to make a living. I don't have time to fool with all this stuff. You know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, they're, they're... yeah, yeah. But this whole conversation, it uh, it makes me uh just realize that. I mean, I love going up there this time of year. I always go, and uh, normally this time of year, I'd be up there with uh, Lee, your unmuzzled guest, and Angie, and and our whole crew. You know, mm-hmm. and and. Uh, you know, I just got, I just couldn't do it this year. I have too much crap going on. And, uh, man, listening listening to you talk about Canada just sends chills up and down my spine because you're right, man. I love it. It's so special. It's I love a it. Cool, cool place and a, just a unbelievable part of the world and time of the year in North America. And, uh, you know, it's just awesome. I, I hope it continues to be awesome for the future. But I've had so many great memories up there. And, um, I missed it this couple, year, but I ain't gonna miss it next year. Couple, couple current things, you know, couple current things that have just emerged uh, pursuant to this little northern tier journey from person to person and outfitter to outfitter. Emerges since I hunted on September fourth in Michigan. One hundred percent of every outfitter and every person that I have hunted with has been tagging birds. Every one of them. We talk about that. But, you know, a lot of folks didn't back it. But, but, I mean, 100% of everybody I have met, myself included, riding around with a with a, with a deck of uh, yellow tags or tagging birds, or yellow yellow tags flying everywhere. And um, that's, that's the one big thing that, and that I, would, I would say that it was not as predominant last year. And maybe it was even invisible two or three years ago, except for a couple of savvy outfitters that knew. You know what was what, and uh, but you know something else, uh, and the and just the sit around bull, getting discussions with people at night at dinner over drinks whatever in the duck blind. You know, it's it's a it just comes up organically. Is this um, let me just frame it as saying this limit thing, this limit mindset. Um, everybody is talking about you know why can't people just enjoy it why you know i, I mean i'm gonna tell y'all uh on that do-it-yourself snow goose hunt these boys are all in on whitey period end of the discussion yeah if something else comes in to shoot it but it is 100 percent commitment to shooting snow geese in the fall and uh and there were some times we 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 thought we were on the x but the geese shuffled the deck and went somewhere else the next morning we caught a little bit we may have shot in the 50s or 60s half limits or so and it was the most amazing thing. You know, here I am shooting two and three quarter inch 
fives or fours and stroking them because these birds are in the decoys. That's awesome hunt. And you know, it just we counted the end, you know, but it, it we know we're near the limit, but it was just awesome. We we're all walking on sunshine. And uh and, and the and the topic comes up at breakfast, you know, cause now it was real weird for me being in my business and doing what I do, same as you, same as Rocky used to do. But it it was just it was weird because all of a sudden I'm not in that role, I'm just a freelancer among friends. So we go to this cafe, and that cafe was predominated uh, by different outfitters around breakfast time or lunchtime, you know. And it was just interesting as an observer, not you know, on this side of the fence to that side of the fence, to see these camo-clad groups come in and group to group coming through the door. Some of them are walking on sunshine, high-fiving, and, you know, boy, you can see, they, yeah, they must have smoked them. And then here comes the next group. Yeah, you know, it's good, yeah, ha ha, you know. But but you could just tell you could tell by their demeanor walking in. Who shot a bunch, who got a limit? Who probably didn't. And then if you so reconciled I, I got, it if if you reconciled it with social media photos, you realize they had a great hunt, but they didn't get a limit. And I'm sitting there thinking, Man, this this is something's going on. There there's something underfoot with all this. What what do you think about that? Well, I I feel like I feel like we touched on it a little bit. I don't remember if it's the last podcast or the one before, but you know the way I look at outfitting. I mean, I have a couple different opinions here, but one is that we're trying to make a memory. So I think it was the last podcast where I said, you know, you can kill your limit and shooting them all forty yards flaring, shooting them in the ass, shoot three box shells, and you shoot four ducks or six ducks. I don't care, pick a number, or you shoot the same number of ducks and you shoot them at five yards because you're in the right spot and everything's right and you shoot six shells or eight shells or whatever. There's a difference there, right? You're not going to remember yeah. that hunt where you shot three boxes of shells to kill your six ducks, but you'll, you'll remember the one where you shot eight shells to kill your six ducks for your whole life. And so that's one observation. Another observation from the outfitting standpoint is that we are firm believers that we're selling an experience, right? So let's say you go to the boot heel and you're staying in a hotel and you're hunting with the guy and you and you have kind of a half ass setup, but you hit the weather right and you you look into a great hunt. That's awesome. You have a great hunt and you're staying in a hotel and you know that experience can only be so good if you have a crappy hunt that that experience can be pretty bad but what we're looking at and our you look at our rebooking rate at habitat flats and there's things that are beyond our control like we can have the best properties and do the best job that we can to have the best food there and control Everything that we can control, right, Ramsey? So when you're looking at an outfitter, yeah. you're not yeah. saying, hey, this guy's in the guarantee they're going to kill him every day. You're looking at the whole ball of wax. You're looking at the food, the accommodations, the staff, the the professionalism, just everything that creates the experience, right? You can only Try. control certain aspects of that. I mean, you can't control it all. So when we look at our rebooking rate, our rebooking rate has almost nothing to do with the success of that particular hunt, believe it or not. That's the truth. And I think part of that speaks to 
think part of it speaks to to our level of clientele. So, you know, most of the people that are coming hunting with us are people that have been around and they have realistic expectations. I mean, they they aren't looking at it like, oh my gosh, you know, I've saved whatever and I got to kill my limit every day. They're they're going there to spend time with their friends. I got to kill something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they're looking at it from a more well-rounded perspective. So, I mean, that's another way that I look at that stuff, right? And then another way that I look at it is like this. I mean, I'm so thankful that we have limits. Like, you know, our our Canada goose limit in Missouri is three Canada geese. And there was some talk about raising it to six Canada geese. And I'm like, God dang, I I mean, I, I don't want it to be six Canada geese. Because to me, does that make my experience better? If I can go out there and shoot six big honkers, does that make my experience better? And my answer is no. I mean, three is already more than I want to deal with, right? So I, I want the experience mm-hmm. to be intimate. I want to shoot three at less than 10 yards. Or hell, some days it might have to be at 40 yards. But, but to me, if I can kill three of them, that's enough. I don't need to kill six of them to feel like I had a good hunt. And then it becomes, okay, well, where's it in? Is it six, eight, ten? A hundred. What what number constitutes a good hunt? And it just there's no the bigger the number is the the less the reward is right. So I'll I'll phrase it a different way, and that's when you look at snow geese where there is no limit in the spring. Okay, so I take a group out, and we have two groups do it front and center. I mean, in the decoys couldn't get any better to the boot bags. We bang them up. We shoot 20 singles. You know, we end up with 45 geese, and these guys are on cloud nine. They had the best hunt of their life. They're all smiles. They're happy. We go back to the lodge. Everybody's high-fiving, having a high ball at the bar. Everything's awesome. The next group comes in, and they're, the next group's like, how was your hunt? They say, man, it was awesome. We had some, We had two really cool groups, and we shot 45 geese, and it was great. And they're saying, well, how was your hunt? And they're like, oh, my God, it was unbelievable. We shot 75, and we had seven groups to the boot bags and 30 singles. And they're like, oh, really? They're like, yeah, it was awesome. Now the guys that thought they had a great hunt, all of a sudden are like, man, we didn't have as good a hunt as we thought we had. And so the, the second group's pounding their chest. And the first group's going, man, we, we didn't have a great hunt after all. And then the third group comes in. And so they ask the first group how they did, and they say, well, we did okay. We shot 45, and they don't say much else. And they ask the second group, well, how'd you guys do? And they pound their chest and say, you know, we shot 75, and here's what happened and all that. And how was your hunt? And they're like, man, we shot 200. It was unbelievable. It was group after group non-stop to the boot bags from the time we got there until sunset. And all of a sudden, that group's like, well, hell, we didn't have a good hunt either. And that is the pitfall with the numbers game. Wow. What, you, Brennan, that was Brennan, pretty good. Brennan, Brennan well, that's the truth. I've seen it so many times. Yeah, Brennan, Brennan Hudson articulated something very similar to talking about the clients who showed up and killed 40. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it was the best hunt they'd ever been on. 
and and then uh, the clients that came back, and they, they shot maybe sixty, you know, the next year because whatever, and, and it was awesome. It, it, it was just, and, and then and then they came back the next year and they shot forty five, and it was like, man, eh, it's all right. Wait a minute, wait yeah. a minute. But the first time you hear it's the best hunt you'd ever been on. Forty five, that's a lot of freaking birds to deal with, man. I mean, that's a lot of, that's, that's a lot. So I, I yeah, mean, man. what do y'all? What hour here? here? I know there's stages and phases, and people evolve as hunters and they evolve as people. But what? What's driving it? What is driving? It? I mean, because because cause like uh, you, how'd you do today? Man, we shot four, shot three. How'd you do today? Man, got a limit six. What what is driving that distinction? That three ducks. Three ringnecks, three teal, three anything, but it's a limit. What's driving that? How, when did that become a thing? Because you know what I've been thinking to myself, looking through the window and listening to music, just thinking, trying to reach back through time, sitting across the table with my grandfather, listening to the stories that I wish I'd recorded and could listen to today, and I don't ever remember him or my uncle or my daddy talking numbers. Never. They never talk numbers. Yeah, man, that, that's a great question. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's uh, just the nature of our culture with less free time and, and more value proposition time as money versus results or what, but uh, you know, man, I, I don't know, but but uh, I, I think that there's a deeper deal where people feel, and I know we talked about this on our, maybe we talked about it before we ever even started the podcast, but, um, you know, I feel like there's a lot of people in our community, and I think it's sad, that are like, hey, man, I paid my money, and I paid $5,000 for this pit, and I didn't kill my limit except for two days of the year, and it's somebody else's fault. And I'm like, what are you even talking about? Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, I yeah. sit here and listen, listen to two geniuses in our waterfowling world talk. Uh, I want to add a couple of things. Number one, I want to go back to what you were saying, Ira, about, about the outfitters. You, you can have a bad day, but if you have a guy that tries, it can be a satisfying hunt to a lot of people. Yes, sir. He, because... You know what? I hear so many stories coming out of Arkansas. Guys, just do not give a damn. When it's 10 o'clock, we're going to eat breakfast. I don't care. See y'all in the morning. That's not a satisfying experience. Now, let me ask you this. If you really sit back and think about it, the people that that it's dissatisfying to, are those the same people that would be the first one to post a picture on social media. And I'm going to say nine times out of ten, yes. That, that's my experience for Mossy Island Outfitters. Those people that have, when you have something out of your control, like you're talking about, duck numbers, eight, 80 degrees in the middle of January, nothing you can do about that. Ducks aren't, they, if they are there, they're usually stale. They're hard to work, and the people that 
have experience know that it's out of your control. But they lost an opportunity to post a picture. You look at the guys, the, the, the experienced hunters that never post kills ever to social media. Dude, they enjoy the hunt. It, it is, there's a ton of people that, that hunt that never post a picture. And, and you talk to them, and either, you wouldn't know either way how their hunt went. You're right. I, you know, I, I post the heck out of pictures. I'm as guilty as any because it's kind of what I do, creating this narrative. Well, you have to. Time. That's marketing. That's it's right. Marketing. You know what? I, I just I just got done. Uh, Brian Mason, my next podcast guest, um, I'm hunting with these guys. They're Canadians. They've been hunting together for a long time. It was so much fun. My gosh. I mean, it's like meeting family. They just talk funny. But, but they... Uh, First couple of I can only imagine what they say about you. <laughs> oh, they said plenty. Let me tell you what. I, I about had to hold up flashcards for one of them. But, <laughs> but it's uh, but but it's a uh, it, they didn't take pictures. They didn't take the pictures they would take. Rock is like I'm sitting there loading my bag and said, "Hey, Ramsey, let me get a picture of you and Cooper. And just just a snapshot." There's Ramsey. Or there's my buddy over here. You know, hey, he's, he's picking up shells. Said, "Hey, stand up." Okay, look, just a snapshot of their buddy. And after we had this incredible, it just, you know, you've hunted snow geese a bunch. And, and you know, it's, it's all, when, the, when any of the birds play, it's good. But when they do it, when when, the, when wave after wave, when it looks like escalator stairs coming into the spread, it's on like Donkey Kong. And, you know, it's just one of those days. And, and you know, I asked them, please, can I, can I just take a picture of my, my, my new family? They said, okay. But, but they could care less about the pictures. But they are there. They are there to hunt and to socialize. And, and I guess it's just like you know, our forebears, our, our ancestors. You know, those old guys didn't go out to limit and get algorithm benefits. They freaking just went out to drink coffee and smoke and spend time with their family and 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 their friends and play cards and eat big sirloin steaks on the grill and. It's and shoot ducks and cook ducks and just have a good time because what they did. I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's unbelievable, y'all. My my grandfather, uh, his whole hunting career melts down to a a little magnetic sticky page photo album uh, about an inch thick, and and it's, it's not laid out and. Perfect little squares and perfect none of that. Just him holding a few geese or a few ducks or no. I mean, just him, him and the kids sitting in a tent. It's just it's not different. I, I, I'm just, I just wonder how did it become a thing? And, and and I guess what makes me think about it is every person I've spent time with, sat around a dinner table with, sat in a duck blind with for the last month. It's a thought that's rattling around. Right on the tip of their tongue. It, it, it's you know every we're all thinking about this thing really. Now don't get me wrong. I mean you know uh, let a I, I'm gonna shoot as many big Canada's uh, that, that that the law allows they decoy. That's 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 what I'm there for. But at the same time, I, I'm not walking around moping and dragging my feet if I only kill a few. Well, I, I mean I'm I like you. That, I want to play that... the game. I want to play the game. I want to be there in the game, man. You know, I think that's part of part of our culture, especially with the you know the younger guys. I see it more with the younger guys, but 
I, I think of it a couple different ways. Like, uh, Ramsey, we've both been fortunate to travel and, and shoot. And let's say we're in Argentina, okay, and we're dove hunting. Well, there's a there's an endless supply of them. So, I mean, how many does it take to make it? Because there's no limit. So, where do you where do you say I'm satisfied? So, yeah. I mean, I just look at like the U.S. and uh, you know, to me, the satisfaction comes from the experience, and hopefully, I shot well enough that I'm happy with my shooting i mean some days more challenging than others or whatever but it's not like i go out there and say i have to shoot a hundred or five hundred or god forbid a thousand you know I, to me it's go out there challenge yourself to shoot you know shoot at some challenging birds and, and just take the whole experience in and, and have at it um versus here where, you know, we do have limits that are specified and whether the limit's five or ten or twenty or a hundred, that number is just a number. Um and the bigger it gets, I think sometimes that is and I've thought this for a long, long, long time. Sometimes the bigger the number is, the less satisfying your hunt is because it just if it's too big, it takes away from the the satisfaction and the enjoyment of the hunt. You know what I'm saying? Just like with it, the, with the can use limit. You know, it, if it's it six, if it's six, it, it may be less satisfying than if it's three. And then the other way I look at it is from the outfitter side. Um, and I'm talking about with Habitat Flats. You know, that's not when people show up to Habitat Flats, they're not paying for a day or two-day or three-day experience, they're paying for a 365-day-a-year experience because that's the work that goes into making that deal happen is 365 days a year. And uh, you're only there for a very, very small percentage of it, and there's a lot of variables going to your success. But there's been 365 days of effort put in there, and I think that the majority of our clients that stay at our lodges they see that big picture, and they understand that. And uh, even when their hunting's not good, they still walk away from there almost all the time with memories that they can cherish, whether it was with their friends or their family or their guides or staff or whatever. And to all of us there, that means a, a whole heck of a lot, and it's something that we're very proud of, you know. That's a very nice way of, I think, articulating it about 365 days. It kind of kind of distilled into their three day experience. That 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 really uh, that's very nicely said. What about this? What about this? What about? And I, this has kind of been on my mind. It came up in breakfast the other day. Somehow or other, and I don't know how. Somehow or other, our concept, our American concept of limit. Somehow, I think, plays a role in this. For example, you, you, you go buy a dozen eggs, you get home, and there's only, there's only eight in a pack. Uh-oh, I got screwed. I'm short. <laughs> you, you go through the drive through window and order a, 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 a Big Mac and large fries, supersize, I mean, you, you get out to the curb and realize you don't throw a small thing of tater tots in there. I guarantee you most folks would be throwing it first gear and spinning, smoking, coming around back in there to get, get their large fries. They got shorted. They got cheated. They didn't get what they paid for. 
and, and I'm saying as, as reconciled, as reconciled with an observation, observations plural I made hunting in the Netherlands for geese where there's no bag limit. And on, you know, that's goose hunting. And geese don't play by duck rules, buddy, and they don't bait them and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, when, when things are right, you make them pay rent. And when it ain't, you're just goose hunting. And, uh, and, and you know, I'll never forget one time meeting with a, a couple of brothers. They showed up, and the geese had played, and me and another client had a, had a bunch of geese. And they were like, holy, they, they just couldn't get over it. They were like, I'm like, well, man, you hunt here. Y'all been hunting here for three generations. What do you mean you've never shot this many birds? And they were just explaining, well, you know, they go out by that fence post and get in the flyway and drink a cup of coffee and smoke a cigarette and drink two, uh, shoot two, two or three geese and go to work. And it's weird, but they enjoyed it. That's what they do. They sit in a blind and they shoot a few geese or shoot whatever, you know, but, but it's, it's different. They don't feel disenfranchised. They don't feel shorted. They don't feel cheated. They're just out there goose hunting. It's like me and when somehow, I go crappie somehow or other, this, this Somehow or other, this freaking, con, this limit, this the limit and the interest of conservation, which is important, has somehow biased uh, the perception of what you have to shoot, supposedly, to really have a good time. That, that, yeah, that, man, that's, that's not just duck hunting. It's fishing, too. So, like, I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking, okay. I know all these people that go down the Lake of the Ozarks and they feel like they have to fill their freezer with crappie. I'm talking about people in the hunting industry that we know or not. It doesn't matter, but they want a full freezer of crappie just in case they want to have fish fry. And so, like, and so versus me, which I'll go down to our lake, which I did on Tuesday, and I can keep 30 crappie there, and I kept about 10. Because I knew, and I mean, it was they were biting like crazy. I knew that that was what we would eat without me having to put anything in the freezer. And I was more than satisfied. Um, and so it's not just with duck hunting or waterfowl hunting. I see the same thing with fishing and and uh, right. deer hunting and just across the board, you know. My wife I, I want to bring up... Married. Go ahead. My, I was gonna say no, no. my wife and I got married. This reminds me of this because same thing. It's same thing I was saying, but it's, it's a very. It, it goes back to that world's greatest generation. I'm out there fishing one day. Her her family's coming in. We're living at the family farm, saving money for our first house, and I go fishing in a pond that only Mister McCain can get permission to because he lived there his whole life. He's eighty something years old. I show up my red wigglers. The fish ain't biting. He's got some white bread. He does up on the hook, and boy, he's catching them left and right. And uh, and we filled up a bucket. Well, I mean, they're biting. Now that I'm figured out the white bread, I'm gone. Got me some white bread. And I'm catching them every bite. And uh, I'm 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 in. I'm just like I'm that guy. Let's catch them all. And, and I never forget old Mr. Bob saying, uh, "Ramsey, we got plenty to eat today. We got plenty for our fish fry. You ain't got to catch them just because they're biting." That's a different. That's, that's exactly. It's a different mindset. That's what I was saying. I got plenty for a fish fry. You know. Let, let me ask I y'all just, this: Would are, are are we in all agreement that most of the time, say eighty percent of the time, the people that aren't satisfied are thirty-five and younger? Do you agree with no, that? I do not. 
I do not. When I was 35, I guarantee I fell into that damn category more than I do oh, now, buddy. Oh, I did, buddy. too. I think a lot of them are rocky, but but I can tell you this right now. There There's some... I, I'm just aware of folks that they see, they see, they see, uh, they see that hole in the ground coming, and they they want to go out with a bang. I see it. He, he, here's I, I, my I know, point. I know to... some guys. I know some guys. Uh, way I hear up, you there. Way up, way up past retirement that are that are trying to catch up or something. Uh, well, that, that, that uh, but that's a different category. There, there are people out there. Uh, that have a hole they're trying to fill. I agree with that. That's right, yeah. There, there's a certain group of people that have a hole that they need to fill, and probably a lot of those are going to Argentina. You're seeing those. But what? here's my point. All right, we, and we would be in all agreement, uh, I'll be in agreement that hunting really started changing way, way for the better, about 94, 95, 96, right in there. that correct we would y'all agree with that i mean there's just so many things that were changing during that period i mean our li- our limits were getting more liberal the hunter numbers were well seemingly going up although i guess the data may say otherwise but um you but he, here's here's my point to this Let, let's say the all right, the average age of somebody usually starting uh waterfowling is somewhere between 10 and 15 okay then add, we've had 23 years now, 22 years of liberal frameworks of six ducks. You've got a whole generation of hunters, a generation and a half almost, that have never known anything but what we have right now. And it's, it goes back to what you originally said, Ira, six. I, I can remember a lot of days. Back in the early '90s, killing two or three, man, I was jumping for joy. Well, that was your—I mean, when it came to mallards, that was your limit, two or three. Back in the late '80s and early '90s, it's, it's a so, special so, mindset. You know, you're right about that, Rocky. A lot of these guys, Forrest and, and stuff, that, that generation, their entire lifetime has been the liberal framework. But I had this conversation with uh, young Johnny Feltovich, who films uh some of our stuff he's up here in canada with me a few weeks ago and and now let me tell you you know that atlantic flyway um they're, they're shooting one canada goose this year one and, and they're shooting two mallards they got black ducks and other birds to shoot too but two mallards and and there has you know, been there has been there has been some hunter attrition and it came up we were talking about it and and i just is why i love this guy man johnny's just a good guy and he's like 23 years old and he's like Heck yeah, I'm going hunting. He said I'll shoot one goose every day if that's what I can shoot. He said he said he said I'm I'm not I'm, I'm hunting them. I love it. He said I guess I'll watch the rest of the time. But but yeah, I'm going. You know, but a lot of people are not because the limit's down. So you know, yeah, I get what you're saying. But but it's not it's not the whole U.S. anymore because now uh, the Atlantic Flyway has been. I mean, they're shooting two mallards this year. One Canada goose, yeah. and they're they're you know, I, I, because of it. I have a lot of hunting isms, um, but one of them is the relativity of the number. So you can pick a number. I don't care if it's one or two or four or six or thirty, but let's just pick the number four. 
some days the number four is a very small number, right? I mean, you shoot four mallards in a minute. Some days the number four, you ain't ever going to get there. You might not get one. What's the number six mean in Argentina, Ramsey? Nothing. What's the number six mean in Mississippi? Yep. It's huge. Wow. That's a, that's a great thought. Well, I'm just that's, saying that, a number is, it's like money. I mean, what's what's a dollar? What's $10? What's $100? What's $1,000? What's a million dollars? It's all relative, right? A million dollars to a billionaire is the same as $10 is to a regular guy. And so when we're looking at ducks and birds and numbers or fish or whatever, that's when you got to think about the experience. I mean, if you're just out there for the number, what numbers it take you to make you happy? Because a number doesn't mean a damn thing. If you're on the Atlantic Flyway and the limit's one and you got it, then I guess you ought to be satisfied. But if you're in Argentina and you shoot, you only kill six ducks, you feel like you got screwed. But if you shoot uh-huh. the same six ducks in Mississippi, you had a great hunt. So, I mean, it just, you better, we should all just go and take it in for what it is and be thankful we got to go another day and hope we got to have some good experiences with good people or ourselves or whatever the case may be. If you're looking at it from the number side, you're never going to be satisfied because it's relative and it's short-sighted. It's just like saying money's going to make you happy. That's not necessarily true, and a limit ain't going to make you happy either. That's right. That's, that, that's exactly right. That is exactly right. You know, I, I told somebody last week or two, I said, you know, this ain't my first hunt. I guarantee you it's not going to be my best hunt. Not gonna be my worst hunt, and, and God willing, it ain't gonna be my last hunt. That's all. That's that's all that really matters, you know. Yeah. You, you, twenty years, thirty years from now, you're not gonna remember how many you killed on January the twentieth, two thousand nineteen. Nope, but I can look it up in my book. <laughs> but you, you know what? You, you can remember Larry telling the story about back up Terry that day. <laughs> oh man, I remember when I remember when he told me that story sitting in the flooded timber in Arkansas. You remember that stuff? That's what well, you remember. Thing, you remember the you remember the last thing I'd encourage these people to do, man. And I went to a big meeting last weekend. It was a big landowner meeting, you know, uh, <clears throat> MDC public private landowner, you know, bitch fest essentially. But um, we were talking about keeping records and. You know, we have a big book at our place. We keep impeccable records, or, I mean, they're sloppy as heck, but, you know, we have, I, I write a preseason analysis and a postseason analysis and a daily recollection of what happened, what were killed, what the funny stories were, what the big projects are, all that stuff. And, you know, more guys probably ought to, ought to think about doing something like that because it just brings your enjoyment of it, and I bet when I'm laying on my deathbed and I can't go anymore, I bet you I'd break that old book out and sit there and read some of that stuff, and, and the generations come behind will probably look at all that stuff too, but it's something that I feel like every hunter should think about doing for themselves and for the people that come behind them. And just so that do, we can I, all I learn do wish from I had it, done you know that. I, mean? I, wish, I wish I had done that, and I, I just decided... It was so late gone. I wasn't gonna do it. The only numbers, the only thing I write down at all is a 
and 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 because I've been doing it, I won't quit it. It's, it's just you know uh, number of trees a dog makes. So my recollection, or my 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 only uh, barometer of of uh, September twenty fifth, how am I doing? Is, is looking back on how many birds Cooper whoever picked up back in the day, and that 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 that's just it. And somebody asked me one time, and I said, you know, all those memories and jokes and stories. We all process white. I wish I'd done it, but I don't. You know, to me, it's like after all these years, it's like you got this big old gumbo pot. And you just keep throwing it in there. And by the time the gumbo's made or the gumbo's made now, I, I don't really. It's all just kind of blended together. You know what I'm saying? It's just a nice gumbo. That's just kind of how sure. for me. For for me, uh, I just don't matriculate. I, I I don't. I wish I did, but I don't. My wife especially me all the time of, of she goes, well, it didn't happen that way. I go, yeah, but my memory it did. And that's that's good. So if I'd written yeah. it down, I'd be kind of held to the facts. Now I can just kind of take liberty with them. Yeah, that's right. But I think if you you know from a land manager's perspective, it's more important than just from absolutely a, a, a hunter's perspective. You know, I mean, I'm doing it mainly absolutely. to try to be able to go back and look and see were there trends, what happened, mm-hmm. can I learn anything here, can the people behind me learn something here, uh, all that stuff. You know, absolutely. You know, outside of a outside of the camaraderie. The, the last, the the conversations, the outside of that. I, I, one thing I can say, just personally, I remember the flocks. Man, I, I can remember flock. I can't tell you how many we killed in some of these big flocks that came into some of this timber or you know some of the places that we hunted. But I remember the flocks, and I remember people's faces seeing that for the first time the guy the guy that just he came duck hunting for the first time from georgia all he's ever seen is one wood duck maybe all season i remember the shock after after pounding into a big flock on his face you know just the joy that 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 guy had seeing that and being a part of it the big flocks that that's the two things that i like i said the great conversations the laughing, the joking, the cutting up for me as a guide, and then the big flocks. In other words, yep. I, 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 I remember how it made me feel. You know, that that's just oh, that's that gumbo. I remember how it made me feel. It goes and, back uh, to what you said. It's, you, you want a game. You you want a battle. Mm-hmm. You want a battle. You you made nature do what you know. Which you made a wild animal do what they uh, probably not what they wanted to. It's like one of my clients I mean, told me the other day we were freelance hunting and he was describing to me uh, some particular landowners he hunts with, and and they just asked him over coffee one day, "Wow, what possesses you to drive all this way, you know, from down the Gulf Coast and come up here and?" been several weeks hunt what in the world has gotten into you and um they said well they, they, they're not gun owners they don't own guns they don't hunt anything they said well if y'all like why don't y'all come join me in the blind bar and just see what it's all about and they did he said he was just just about done putting out the decoys when they showed up husband and wife and 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 you know they got in his blind it didn't matter if they weren't camo they didn't own camo didn't matter because he had a nice blind to keep them in. The ducks couldn't see them. And the birds couldn't see them. And all these 
all these animals they'd seen, all this, this this landscape of white geese and brown geese and stuff out there that they just considered a nuisance or a part of the landscape, all of a sudden they had a different perspective because they, they saw him and they felt themselves interacting this wild bird. And he said, now they're a regular guest in my blind. They come out there just to watch. They get it. They'll never shoot one. They could care less, but they, they come and enjoy it. Well, same thing, like I said, when you're a commercial outfitter, you're selling memories, man. They're <clears throat> the number at the end of the day doesn't that's not what they're gonna remember. They might it, it affects them in the short term, but what they remember is the intimate interaction with that big bunch that did it right. That's what they remember. Besides the experience and the memories with their family and all the other components that are very important with the hunt. But the numbers are they're just like money, man. If that's if that's your end goal, uh, you're never going to be happy. Not never, nope. but a lot of the time you're going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, we are just about out of time. I, I, I'm probably going to have a big applause because I didn't talk very much, but there's no way I was breaking <laughs> into that conversation, sitting back, listening to you two talk. Uh, I, this... This is, if you want the good stuff, it was here tonight. Uh, I would, like I said, I was just sitting back in all listening, to what, you know, to you two guys, two, two highly respected waterfowlers. Really appreciate it. I'm sorry, Ira, we didn't get back to the story, but I think we covered a, maybe a bigger picture item tonight that a lot of people need to hear. Oh, man, it's good stuff. I mean, it's what we're all... What, it's what we all dream about when we go to bed at night. What it's all about. Well, Ramsey, thank you again. Ira, I appreciate it. We want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. <laughs>